Well, turn with me in your Bible, this evening, please, to the Gospel of John. We're turning to the Gospel of John, in chapter 19. The Gospel of John, in chapter 19, we're going to read from verse 23 and through to the verse 30. The Gospel of John, please, in chapter 19, the verse 23 through to the verse 30. This evening we're considering the fifth cry from the cross of Calvary in our little series Crosswords, and that is the cry the shortest, I thrush. Verse 23 of the Gospel of John chapter 19, this is the word of the Lord. And it reads, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. And now the coat was without steam, woven from the top throughout. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not rent it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, that which said, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of this word to each of our hearts this evening. It was most telling that every word that the Lord Jesus Christ cried upon the cross should be gathered up and preserved. The Spirit of God took special care of each of these final sayings that the Lord Jesus cried in his final hours at the cross of Calvary. And we've been considering each of these cries in our little series, Crosswords, each Lord's Day evening. There were, as you know, seven cries from the cross of Calvary. The Saviour gave three between 9 a.m. and noon, and he gave four between noon and three in the afternoon. The first three of those cries didn't concern himself. They concerned others around him. We considered those cries, and truly as we listen to many of the cries from the cross, as we listen, we are surely constrained to say of the Lord Jesus Christ, Never a man speak like this man. No words, I say, as a preacher of the gospel, will ever come close to reaching the depths of each of what each of these cries truly meant. And as we stand in our mind's eye at Calvary again this evening, we're standing on holy ground. My unconverted friend, God in his grace, yet once more, as you sat under the sound of the gospel, yet another Sunday night we sit at the foot of Calvary, and still you're not seen. How many times must you hear? 
How many more preachers do you need to faithfully proclaim the wondrous story and plead for your soul? How many times do you need to hear what Christ has done for you? Listen to the story of the cross once more this evening. And see your state, your hand there for you, and repent of your sin. Yet once more the Spirit of God seeks to convict you of your sin and save you. God's word declares, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I know that you'll hear his voice this evening, because each time this book is opened before us, the Spirit of God promises to speak. And his holy word does not return unto him void. In previous weeks we've considered the first four cries, we've considered that first cry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was the first here is forgiveness of sin, it's found at the cross. Free forgiveness in answer to the Saviour's plea. We have offended a holy God. Our sin separates us from God. And yet the Saviour cries for your soul this evening. He cries, Father, forgive, will you not come and place your trust in him? The second cry we considered uh, was spoken to the dying thief. And the Lord Jesus turned to that dying thief. And said to him, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. For those of us here this evening, your trust in Christ as Savior, here is the safety for the believer that in the hour of, uh, the hour of their departure at death, that in an instant there will be admission into the presence of the Lord. What or who, dear friend, are you depending on for eternity? For it's only the Lord Jesus Christ who can save you from a lost eternity. Only repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will make you ready for heaven. The third cry, the Lord spoke to his mother. And he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. We read this in our passage this evening in verse 26. This spirit very plainly shows us the humanity of Christ who to the end recognized his human relationship to Mary, of whom he was born. And yet his language teaches us not to worship her, for he didn't call her mother, he called her woman. And then he cared for her in the darkest hour of history, and he thought of her needs, and he thought of her griefs. The fourth cry that we considered last time was, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it illustrates the penalty that was endured by our substitute when he bore your sin and was forsaken by God the Father. Separation and fellowship, he didn't cease to be God. But the Savior went through those hours of darkness so that you and I might never have to face the darkness and eternal separation from God in a sinner's hell. And this evening we come to this fifth cry, this saying, the shortest saying, I thirst. And it's an utterance that teaches us the truth of Scripture. For all things were accomplished, it tells us, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, and therefore the Lord Jesus says, I thirst. Most of us wouldn't have wanted to have been at the cross of Calvary that day, as the nails were driven through his holy hands. And the steel spear pierced his skin, embedded into his side, and the blood running down, drenching his body in the wooden cross to form a pool in the ground. It was a gruesome scene. 
And the Lord Jesus at this stage had been on the cross for six hours. As he began his public ministry, he spoke about being hungry. And now he ends his ministry and he speaks about being thirsty. His strength was dried up. And his tongue clove to his jaw. I remember beginning to climb a mountain a number of years ago in California with my family. We were visiting Yosemite. And we were climbing to get a better view of the famous feature in the mountain called the Dome. And at the bottom of the mountain there was a sign that read, You are now entering the wilderness. And the sign was to warn people to carry plenty of water with them as they climbed in the scorching heat of the Californian sun. And we certainly hadn't brought enough water with us. And we're very soon we were heading back down the mountain to get some water. I remember having a very dry mouth. And I desperately needed a drink. Such thirst can't be compared with the thirst of crucifixion. For crucifixion is a long and slow process of dehydration. Beginning with Gethsemane where the Lord Jesus sweat as it were great drops of blood. To his arrest, to his trials, to spending the night in prison, to waking up to more trials in the morning. To the flogging and being forced to carry his cross. Such suffering would drain the fluids of his body. Now for six hours as he comes to cry this I thirst. For six hours he'd been on the cross without moisture. I read during the week that in the Swedish language the words for thirst and fire are related. And those who are truly thirsty can say they are thir- that they thirst like a fire in their mouth. How can the creator of rivers and oceans have parched lips. How can the one who is omnipotent thirst for a drink? How can the one who spoke the raging sea, the storm into submission, long for a few drops of refreshment? Yes, the man who is thirsty has all power in heaven and earth in his hands. He did miracles for others, but wouldn't perform one for himself. He refused to turn stones into bread while hungering in the desert. And now he refuses to create water while thirsting on the cross. He has taught us how to live. And he'll teach us how to die. And the simple three phrase here is, I thirst. And it has a world of meaning. He speaks for all who are thirsty. And for all who have unmet desires. The drops of water for which he longed become for us showers of blessing. Let's reflect on what these words mean. Let's consider a number of things. I want you to firstly note the humanity of the Saviour. The humanity of the Saviour. These words I first show us that Christ did have a flesh and blood body. Now the Bible is very clear as to who Jesus Christ is. There are some people today and they believe Jesus Christ was a legend. That there never was any person such as Jesus Christ. There are still others and they will say that the Lord Jesus, he was a liar. He just deceived people. Still again, there's others who believe that the Lord Jesus was a lunatic. He just thought that he was Lord. But praise God for those of us here in the gathering this evening who are saved and believe that Jesus Christ wasn't a legend or a liar or a lunatic. We believe that he is Lord. That's who Jesus is. He is very God of very God, but he's also very man of very man. Paul puts it like this. 
And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now when the Lord Jesus became man, he didn't cease to be God. Christ emptied himself, not by ceasing to be what he was, but by assuming something he wasn't before. Man, he was God in human flesh. He took on human flesh. He had to become, he had to come and fashion as a man, because a man had to go to the cross to die in your place and mine. These words I first show us of that the Lord Jesus, he did have a sinless flesh and blood body. John says at the beginning of his gospel, and the word Christ was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the reality of his sinless humanity is seen in the gospels because the Lord Jesus, he was hungry. We read that in Matthew 4 verse 2. The Lord Jesus, he was weary. We read of that in Matthew 4 verse 6. Uh, there were not were there not times when the Lord Jesus was righteously angry? We read of that in Mark 3 verse 5. Were there not times when he was tempted like each one of us? Do you recall what John says in the very gospel that we've read tonight? It says this in John chapter 4 verse 6. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus in the well, and said unto her, the woman at the well, give me to drink. Are these not sinless experiences of humanity? The Lord Jesus, he came as a man and he went to the cross and took your place. Our Lord Jesus, he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He was perfect man and here he cries in his humanity, I thirst. It reveals his humanity. There was once a TV advertisement for an emergency device that showed an elderly woman lying on the floor calling for help. And she cried out, I have fallen and I can't get up. And you see, that's the experience of every sinful man and woman. We have to cry, I have fallen and I can't get up. I'll never meet the standards of a holy God for I have fallen so far short of the glory of God. I have fallen and I can't get up. And I'm in need of a saviour. You see, that's the problem of the entire human race. Because of Adam's sin, the only way for us to be rescued is for one who has not fallen to rescue us. So Jesus Christ comes in the likeness of human flesh. He comes as human. And Christ had to become a man in order to save you and I. Paul says there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. What a stoop he took. What a sacrifice he made. What a salvation he purchased for you and me. But I don't just want you to note the humanity of the Saviour. I also want you to note the submission of the Saviour. Look at the verse again here in God's holy word tonight. Verse 28 says, After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I, saith, I thirst. Look at the first two words of this verse. It says, after this, after what? After hours of suffering, after meeting the needs of his mother, after assuring a thief that he was making the trip to heaven later that day, after he was forsaken by God so that we might be forgiven by God, after the victory, the Lord Jesus said, I thirst. Then I want you to note another word here. It says, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. All things were now completed. 
What things had now been accomplished? What had been completed? What kind of things were accomplished? Let me tell you what was accomplished through the cross. The provision of salvation. The provision of salvation. You see, that word accomplished, it also can be used for, for saying that a debt has been paid. And that's what Christ was doing at the cross. He was paying your sin debt. For Paul says, for ye are bought with a price. And what a price. The precious blood of the Savior, the perfect Lamb of God. Christ saw now that he had done everything necessary for you to be saved. He realized that he had won the battle for you. And he cries because he has accomplished all. And he cries, I thirst. You say to me, Peter, how can I be saved? I say to you through the cross. You say, how can I find pardon for my sins? I say through the blood of Christ. You say, how can I find peace with God? I say to you, by the knee and place your trust in the Savior this evening. The provision has been made for your salvation. But I want you all to also to see what has been accomplished, the fulfillment of prophecy. You see, look at that little phrase there. It says this. It says that the scripture might be fulfilled. Why did the Lord Jesus not create the stream of water within his parts mouth? Why did he bother to say, I thirst, when he was just moments away from death? The answer is that there was yet a prophecy from the Old Testament that it would be fulfilled. God's word tells us that the scripture might be fulfilled. You know, the Lord Jesus, he hadn't yet been given vinegar. We read in Psalm 69, verse 21, And yet he also called for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And he hadn't yet been given that vinegar, a prophecy that hadn't yet been fulfilled. So the Lord Jesus, knowing that this detail couldn't be overlooked, called out so that it would come to pass. And there was a soldier who responded to the cry of the Lord Jesus in verse 29, fulfilling the prophecy. Now he could have brought water to the Savior. He could have brought many other things. And that soldier probably wouldn't have known about this prophecy. And yet he offered vinegar. A prophecy fulfilled. Verse 29 says, Now there was set a, full, a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Jesus Christ was crucified only perhaps two or three feet off the ground. So it would have been easy for that soldier to put it on a sponge and a reed and to hold it to his mouth. The vinegar was given to him only to wet his lips, but it fulfilled the prophecy. He doesn't say, I'm thirsty so that he, his raging thirst might be slapped. He cries out so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. I want to tell you something this evening. The Old Testament had much to say about the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to listen well. Every prophecy regarding his first coming was fulfilled in full. Every detail. And if you don't believe me, you take the Bible and you read it for yourself. Every prophecy, every detail, right down to the vinegar being offered to the Savior by the soldier. And the Bible teaches that someday the Lord Jesus will return to the air and he'll gather all those who are trusting in the work accomplished at Calvary to himself. And there's a great gathering of redeemed souls that's coming and it could happen any day. 
And that means there's a day coming for those who have rejected the lovely message of the Bible. That message that says you can be saved from sin and you can have a home in heaven. There is coming a day when those who have rejected the cross work of Christ, you'll be bundled together and cast into the furnace that the Bible calls hell. And the Savior tells us that that day that there will be great wailing and gnashing of teeth. And you say to me, Peter, that's far thanks. That's not true. Listen carefully. Every prophecy that we read in the Bible, so far each one has come true. Don't play with God. This day also will come. And you'll certainly know the full truth of it one millisecond after you die. Someday, God's patience is going to wear. And those souls who don't prepare for eternity will be cast into the place where the worm never dies. And I pray that never happens to anyone in this room tonight. Christ cried out first, and it led to another fulfillment of prophecy. You can be sure that one day the prophecy of his coming again will be fulfilled. And for those who aren't ready, it will be forever to be. But you see, that's the bad news. But gospel means good news. And there's good news coming. Because I want you to see the provision of the Savior, what he's provided. <clears throat> We've thought about the Savior's thirst on the cross of Calvary. But dear unsaved friend tonight, you do have a thirst. You know, one of the first signs of life is thirst. We're all born thirsty, as every new mother knows. But, but just as we come into the world with a physical thirst, so we have a spiritual thirst that's built into our souls. And it's only the Lord Jesus Christ who has provided for that great thirst of your soul. Only he can satisfy your thirst. Back in the 16th century, there was a man who wrote this. He said, the soul of man hath an enraging and extinguishable thirst. Only when we give ourselves up to God can our thirst be satisfied. There is within us a thirst for fellowship, not just with other people, but with the God who created us. And understandably so, for we were created for his pleasure. Some people are determined to quench their thirst through alcohol, through relationships, through money, or through power. But you could gain all the things in this world, the Lord Jesus Christ says, but lose your own soul, which is your most precious possession. Some people fill their lives with pleasure, trying to survive by continually igniting the sensations of their body. And they're all watering holes that are like broken cisterns. They never work. They never fully satisfy. You see, we need to come and drink of the water of life, for the Lord Jesus Christ says that indeed he can quench our thirst. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, we read these words, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out old cisterns, broken cisterns, the golden water. I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the waters fail. The things we look for, and the things we look to for fulfillment, they never seem to work, do they? They're just broken sisters. They may be satisfied for a little while, but then we're looking for more. 
In the search for happiness in those things, you're in danger of losing out in the only thing, the only person who can satisfy you eternally. Come to the living water of Christ that he offers you the same thing. The Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ can be for you a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. The Lord Jesus cares about every tear we shed. The psalmist says he collects our tears in, the bo- in a bottle. Christ can answer your prayers. Christ can calm the storm in your life. Christ died in your place and rose again for you. Christ can set you free. Christ can, Christ can carry your soul to heaven if you would only trust him. The Lord Jesus can stand for you throughout eternity. What a Savior to come to tonight. What is the Lord Jesus offering you? He's offering you satisfaction and salvation for your soul. He's offering you the opportunity to have your sins forgiven. He's offering you the opportunity to be be made right with God. He's offering you the opportunity to miss hell and to gain heaven. What's the catch? Well, there is no catch. He wants you to come to him. He loves you. Did Lucy not sing about that earlier? I wonder, do you know the Savior? He loves you. And he wants you to come to him. He has made all the provisions. He says, come for all things are now ready. He's made the great provision. He wants you to take his death on the cross as the payment for your sins. He wants you to believe what the Bible says about him. He wants you to accept it all on the basis of faith. We read in Romans 10 verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you do that, he'll save you. Now I'll tell you now I can catch the light from this book that he will satisfy you. The attractions of this world will lose their grip on you. He wants to see it and satisfy. That's why he's such a tender savior. Many years ago, a man got on a coasting steamer that was bound for Florida. He was poor. He had very little money, and when he was paying for his ticket, with the little money that he had left, he bought some crackers and cheese, thinking that the food in the dining room was much too expensive for his limited means. And after a time, the crackers began to taste flat, and the cheese started to go off. And to make matters worse, he was obliged three times a day to inhale the odors which were coming from the kitchen. And finally, when he was within one day sailing from Florida, he grew desperate, and seeing a waiter carrying a huge plate of turkey, and all the trimmings, he stopped them at the entrance of the dining room, and he said, How much will a dinner like that cost? Cost? exclaimed the waiter. He says, why sir? It doesn't cost anything. It was all paid for in your ticket. Let me tell you something, dear unsafe friend. The provision for your soul is already been made. And all it takes for you is to take a step of faith. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The provision has been made for your soul's salvation. And it will cost you nothing. But for Christ, he shed his precious ruby drops of blood. And he has made the provision for you. Christ sees your emptiness and he offers you food. Christ sees your deadness and he offers you life. Christ sees your hell and he offers you his heaven. Will you not come to Christ to save him? He's the key to life. He alone can satisfy your hunger. And He alone can satisfy 
Your thanks.